Hi, I'm Marianne Talkovsky, and you're listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With over a decade of experience as a holistic health practitioner and face reader, I've read hundreds of faces and elevated how many people see themselves. Every person's facial features tell a story of who they are and who they came to be. And in this podcast, you will hear what people see and learn about themselves while looking in the mirror. You won't want to miss an episode, so be sure to subscribe. Terry Tucker has reinvented himself frequently over his professional career, from playing basketball in college to becoming a police officer with the Cincinnati Police Department as a SWAT hostage negotiator and everything in between. His greatest challenge, though, began in early 2012 when he was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer called acrolentigenous melanoma, which presented on the bottom of his foot. Since then, he's had to have his foot amputated, his leg amputated, and he still is battling with cancer as we speak. Terry says that whining, complaining, and blaming others for your plight will not enhance your experience. You have to want to make the change and commit to it every minute of the day. There are no days off when attempting to make significant and lasting improvements. He is a cancer warrior, and I encourage you to listen to the end while he shares what he feels humanity needs the most. Hello, this is Marianne Talkovsky with Humanity Speaks, The Human in the Mirror, and I am here today with... Terry Tucker. Hi, Terry. Hi, Marianne. How are you? (laughs) I'm doing great. And yourself? Outstanding. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm so excited to dive into your story. I was reading a little bit of background and um, wow. So uh, I I can't wait to hear more. Um, Just like every episode, I always like to start with having you take a look in the mirror. So if you wouldn't mind, I know you have your handheld. I do. Yes. I better do this side. All right. That's better. (laughs) Not the magnified side. Yeah. That was. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so would you be able to describe your features to someone who would not know what you look like if they didn't see a photo or if they've never met you, how would you describe your face to them? Mm, Good question. (sighs) Brown hair, brown eyes. Um, clean shaven, short hair, two eyes, two ears, nose, mouth, (laughs) no uh, braces or any kind of dental devices, kind of long and maybe thin in terms of shape. Okay. Not sure what else. I got here. Okay. Anything uh, specific about features? Like I'm definitely seeing a rectangular shape. Are you? And, and I mean, I, I've got a scar next to my left eye that I got when I was five years old. Okay. Um, you know, hair's starting to gray. Eyebrows are starting to gray. Okay. Getting old. Getting old. Okay. And, and is there a particular feature that you may have had a challenge with in the past or presently something that, um, isn't your favorite? You know, now, no, but you know, when I was 
when I was young, I'll tell you, I, I was six foot five when I was 13 years old. And wow. I had great big feet and great big ears. You know, my head had not caught up with my ears yet. And I used to get teased shamelessly about that. But now I kind of like my ears. So, you know, uh, I, I mean, no, I, I don't, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in physical features. It's, it's not, that's not who I am. This is just kind of window dressing to who I really am. Okay. And what about a feature that you love or like? Maybe my eyes. Kind of the windows to the soul, so to speak. Okay. The windows to the, of the soul to the window dressing. Yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. Um, So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about what I'm seeing in your face as well. Okay. Because um, I often reference a, an ancient art and science called Chinese face reading. Okay. It's a branch of Chinese medicine. And Chinese face reading helps to basically tell the story of who you came to be and what lessons you've come to learn, your challenges. Also, a little bit about your personality and your tendencies. And um, it's just a really fascinating way of getting to understand yourself a little bit better from that lens. Okay. So I am definitely seeing in your face, um, just from what I can see um, on on the screen, because we're on Zoom right now, Mm -hmm. I mentioned that long rectangular face. um, And I see a very strong chin. Would you agree? Very strong chin. Yeah. Yeah. There's even like a little bit of um, uh, roundness on top of the strength of the chin. I would agree. Okay. Ears for sure. That's one of the first things I noticed about you. And I think it's easy to see because you are clean shaven and your face shape. So I'll tell you what ears represent and the size and shape here in just a moment. Um, And then Yes, I can see even like a long, uh, strong nose and then a strong brow bone. Do you yeah, see Yeah, I go bone? with that. Yeah. 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 So, so prominent bone structure, uh, large features, especially the ones I pointed out. This is a representation of what's called the wood element in Chinese face reading. Okay. And, and wood is the energy of um, each element. There's five of them represent or correspond to a season. Okay. And wood is about spring. And, and it's springtime in the fact that, you know, things are ready to shift out of winter and to grow. So wood energy is about growth and forward movement and getting things done and moving past challenge onto what's next, what's next, what's next. Like, you know, it's, it's about checking boxes, to-do lists, getting things done. So wood types, which okay. this is what I'm seeing in your face, often have a strong drive and determination to get things done. You also have strong water features and water is about this, um, it's reserve. It's um, this willpower and strength. It's referred to the winter season where, you know, things are basically below the surface. There's so much strength. I'm seeing that in your chin, which the chin is a water feature 
and you have a strong chin on top of, you know, not just the, the wood structure of it, but the water um, element is on top of that. So what that tells me is tenacity, willpower, the ability to tap into reserve, and then maybe a little bit of stubbornness. <laughs> so um, a lot of times, you know, this is really something that's great for when people need to call upon resources to get through a challenge. You know, you have a lot of that reserve and that is also shown in your ears. Ears are also a part of the water element and they represent um, again, that tenacity, determination, ability to persevere to the point of almost stubbornness with long, strong, like long ears, it also represents, um, health. So even if you've had a health challenge, you can get through it a lot easier than someone who doesn't have as strong ears. Okay. So, um, I don't know if any of this is resonating with you, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you're (laughs) the one other thing I want to mention is the brow bone. So the brow bone above your, your eye, um, your eyebrows, very strong. So this is, uh, again, um, a, a strong feature in people that are, have a lot of testosterone and have a lot of ability to, um, again, accomplish things. Even athletes often have this, Um, it is really like a leadership quality whenever someone has this, um, feature, it's the person that, um, not so much resists authority, but is the authority. So really isn't going to fall in line with authority. Does that make sense? It does. does. (laughs) So, so. I want to hear more about your story, but I also want to hear like, what is, what is resonating from, or what is not resonating from what I shared? I, I, I mean, a lot of that is true. I mean, I, I was a athlete pretty much my entire life. Uh, you know, I, I was a, a policeman and had different jobs in law enforcement and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of that, you know, yeah, it's kind of spot on with what you're saying in terms of that. I, I, you know, I, I mean, I've, I, you know, it's funny because I've always noticed sort of my, my brow bone. It's, it's always been something that is uh, prominent, I, I guess. And I don't, I don't know if I even mentioned it during when you were asking me to look in the mirror, but I mean, it's something over the years, you know, when you're shaving or something like that, that you're like, hmm, okay, you know, where other people don't have it and things like that, or don't have it as pronounced as, as I seem to think I do. So Right. So yeah, I, I'd say you're pretty much spot on. Okay. So, okay. You said police officer athlete. So talk to me about well, six, five. What sport did you play? Was it basketball or was it? Um, a, yeah. A so I, I am, I'm six foot eight now. So mm-hmm. uh, yes, I was, uh, wow. I know. Yeah. Or five foot 20, if you want to, you know, do the math, which <laughs> Not a good joke, but it's a joke. Um, yeah, I played basketball in college. I mean, it's funny if you look at our family. I mean, I'm the oldest and six foot eight. I, I've got a brother that's six foot seven that was a pitcher at the University of Notre Dame. I have a brother that's six foot six 
who played in the, or was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers, Cleveland Cavaliers in the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was 6'5". So, you know, we were kind of all within an inch of each other. But, you know, my five foot eight, eight inch mother kind of ruled the roost. It didn't matter how big, strong or tough we were. Whatever mom said, that's the way it went. I love it. So all brothers? All brothers have no sisters. Wow. Wow. Okay. So athlete during high school and in college as well? In college. Yeah. I went to college on a basketball scholarship. Okay. And then what was your degree? Business administration. Oh, same. I did international business as well. So, and then what was your goal after graduating with a business administration degree? What did you see yourself doing? So I always wanted to be in law enforcement, but my dad, um, my paternal grandfather um, was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So he was in Chicago during prohibition, during the, you know, the gangs that were shooting up the city and all that kind of stuff. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It wasn't serious. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories my grandmother told of the knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son. Your husband was shot. Come with us. So my dad had my entire life planned out. You know, you're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to, you know, go into business. And I did. Not my passion. Not what I want to do. Not what I was put on this earth to do. Hmm. And unfortunately, my dad was was sick when I graduated from college. He died shortly after, about three years after I got out of, out of college. But in out of respect for him, I pursued what he wanted. I went to work for Wendy's, the hamburger chain, in their corporate offices in their marketing department. And then I spent 10 years as a hospital administrator. But it wasn't until I really was kind of in my late 30s that I actually started to follow my passion and got into law enforcement. Wow. How long were you in law enforcement? About 10 years. Wow. And and so do you feel like that fulfilled what you were interested in or your desire to go in that direction? I th- I think it was my passion, you know, and and I always tell especially young people today, you know, if you have a passion for something, if something's really kind of burning in your heart, but it scares you to go ahead and do it. Because you know, at the end of your life, you're going to regret the things you didn't do. You're you're rarely going to regret the things that you did do. So, you know, it would have been interesting if my dad hadn't been sick. You know, I'm sure it probably would have come to a head where, you know, and, and I love my dad. He was a great guy. I mean, he was my hero. He was a great family man. Family always came first. And even when he was sick, I remember one time um, my little, my youngest brother was playing a high school basketball game and I was working, you know, I, I had a job and uh, I said, you know what, I'm not going to the game today. I'm going to, I'm going to go work out after work. My dad was like, absolutely not. We support each other in this family. You're going to your brother's high school basketball game. And I went to my brother's high school basketball game, you know, cause that's what we did. That was how important family was to us. And I always say I've gotten through cancer with the three F's, faith, family, and friends. Wow. Okay. So talk to me about the cancer. Like, tell me about that. So 2012, it started. So I've been dealing with this very rare form of melanoma, which appeared on the bottom of my foot uh, back in 2012. So it's been nine years that I've been dealing with this. Wasn't given more than five years to to be alive. 
was on a drug, had two surgeries to cut the cancer out and all the lymph nodes in my groin. And then I was put on a drug called interferon um, to really, as my oncologist said, kick the can down the road, just try to keep you alive as long as we can so we can find more treatments for melanoma. And I was on this weekly injection of interferon for almost five years. And for two or three days after each injection, I had flu-like symptoms. So imagine having the flu two to three days every week for five years. Oh my gosh. And that's what I went through. And then when it was stopped, the disease came back in 2017. 2018, I had my left foot amputated. 2019, I uh, had two more surgeries on my shin when it came back. And then last year, an undiagnosed tumor in my ankle grew large enough that it broke my shin bone. It fractured my, my, my tibia. And my only option last April, right in the middle of a global pandemic, was to have my left leg amputated um, because of that disease. And they also found I have tumors in my lungs. I still have tumors in my lungs, but I'm undergoing a clinical trial treatment that is having some success. It's it shrunk the tumors about 30%. So on that uplifting note, uh, <laughs> that's my cancer journey. Wow. Wow. Okay. So... From a, from a spot on your foot. At a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. Yep. Wow. So what was that like to get that diagnosis that you only have five years to live? You know, it was pretty scary because I, you know, when the, when the callus broke open at the time, I, I was a high school basketball coach. So I, I really didn't think a lot of it because I was on my feet a lot. But when it didn't heal, I went to see a podiatrist friend of mine. And, you know, he did uh, put some pads in your shoes and we'll see if we can get it to heal. And when it didn't, he took an x-ray and he said, you know, you've got a little cyst in there and I think I can cut it out. And, and he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a gelatin sack with some white fat in it. There was no blood. There was no dark spots. There was nothing that gave him concern at all. And then two weeks later, he calls me. And like I said, he was a friend of mine. So he was having difficulty talking. And the more difficulty he was having the more frightened I became until he just kind of laid it out. And he said, Terry, I've been practicing for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. No. So, you know, I went through all the emotions, you know, scared, angry, you know, frustrated. I'd done everything right in my life. I had a physical exam every year, did all the tests my doctors, you know, recommended, ate right, never abused drugs or alcohol, exercise, everything. And yet I had this rare form of cancer. And, and the funny thing is, is two years ago, I had a genetic test of all 88 genes that doctors either know of or suspect cause cancer. And I had no mutations in any of those genes. So -hmm. there's no explanation as to why I got this cancer. But in all honesty, I don't spend a lot of time wondering why. I got it. I got to deal with it. What is that like going from being an active athlete and a police officer to having your foot and your leg amputated? You know, I had a nurse ask me that once. Um, and I guess my response was this, that it certainly wasn't easy by any means. And, and, and I don't mean to sit here and say that I have all the answers. I, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't have an S on my chest. I do not wear a cape. But what I told this nurse was, although it wasn't easy, I am much more than the sum of my parts. And 
back in 1993, there was a basketball coach from North Carolina State named Jim Valvano who won an award. It was the ESPY Award for Courage. It was, it was on television, and he gave a great speech. And, and I didn't understand the speech at the time because I didn't have cancer, but he was dying of cancer. He had about eight more months to live. And he, he said, you know, cancer can take away all my physical abilities, but cancer can't touch my heart. It can't touch my soul. It can't touch my mind. And it can't. And, and that's kind of what I was trying to relay to that nurse that I am so much more. I mean, this is, you know, I said it before, window dressing. This is just something to house who we really are. And so it wasn't easy, but also it wasn't like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Although it probably was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It, it wasn't something that really kind of kept me down because we're all going to experience those dark days. And it doesn't have to be like mine with a terminal illness. It could be, you know, you flunk a test or you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, or you have a car accident on the way to whatever it is, we're all going, pain is inevitable. Suffering on the other hand, that's optional. It's right. what you do with that pain. And you can sit there and wallow in it and say, you know, woe is me and oh, life sucks and all that stuff. Yeah, I get it. But it's up to you to get back up and start moving forward. I just choose not to stay in that dark place for very long. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> two things I want to point out based on everything you shared, your ears again, um, leadership ears, like strong reserve leadership, along with the brow bone, your whole face just says leader to me. And then um, we didn't talk about your hairline and you didn't mention it either, but you have like an M-shaped hairline. Okay. Which in Chinese face reading, that represents being uh, being creative. Yeah. And um, so I would imagine through all of this hardship that one of the ways you're getting through it is your message and your creativity. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're you're not wrong. I, I I mean, really, knowing that I'm probably coming to the end of my life, which in a way we, pardon me. How old are you? Sixty. Okay. Um, knowing I'm coming to the end of my life does not really scare me. I, I, I because I you know I think I found the reason I was put on this earth and I live that reason so it's okay to move on, at least as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I mean, I, I ended up writing a book. Uh, I had my leg amputated in April. I started chemotherapy for the tumors in my lungs in June. And in between that, those three months, I ended up writing a book that got published last year. So I, I'd never had a book published before. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't think of myself as a creative person, but. That is a know. creation. Yeah. What is your book called? It's called Sustainable Excellence, The Ten Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Love it. So with the leadership piece, I imagine you have, you said, a per, you, said you have a purpose and that involves a message. What is your purpose and do you have a message you want to share? Yeah, I, I think my purpose now um, is to really, with whatever time I have left, to put as much love, goodness, and positivity back into the world. Um, as I mentioned, I, I you know the, the three Fs have got me through cancer: faith, family, and friends. And, and faith has always been very important. And I can't imagine at the end 
of my life, standing in the presence of our creator, you know, whoever, whatever you believe that entity to be, and being unable to account for the gifts and the talents that I was born with and that I didn't use to make the world a better place. And I guess over these nine years, I've kind of developed what I call my four truths. And with my faith and these four truths, that's how I make decisions on treatment or, you know, projects I should be involved in and things like that. And, and I'll give you those four truths because they're, they're one sentence each. And if, if I look down, I apologize. They're on a post-it note and I, I have them right here on my desk. I see them every single day, multiple times. And the first one is you need to control your mind or it will control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the suffering that we all experience in life and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual. The third one is, is what we leave behind is what we weave in the hearts of other people. And the fourth one is, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Love it. There's that strong drive. So what you're weaving for others, what, what would you say that is? Like, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind for others? You know, I get that a lot. You know, how do you want to be remembered and stuff like that? And, you know, I, I don't have any great, you know, I, I, I don't really care if I'm remembered or not. I, I, I'm not, you know, 50 years from now, nobody's hardly ever going to remember that I was here. And that's okay. But what, again, I think it goes back to, can I, can I put some more love? Can I put some more positivity? Can I put some more goodness back into this world now through, you know, projects I'm working on through other people, uh, through, you know, my wife and I have been married for 27 years. We have one child, the daughter, you know, can I, can I put that, you know, I think I've shown my daughter how to live. I think now I'm going to show her how to die, you know, how to die a good, a good death, so to speak. There's a, there's an old native American, uh, Blackfoot proverb that I heard years ago that I love. And it goes, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. And, and that's kind of what I want to do with my life. You know, I want, to, I want to make as much goodness as I possibly can. And I think I have along the way. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's, you know, I'm just doing this now because I'm dying. But I want people to realize that whatever pain they're in, you know, like my pain, it's going to go away someday. It may go away from surgery. It may go away from medication, may go away from death. But if I quit, if I give up, I'm always going to have that pain. That pain is always going to follow me. So one thing I've learned is that, you know, when I was a policeman and, and certainly with cancer is the human body can take a tremendous amount of damage and keep going, keep moving forward. And I just want people to realize that, you know, there, there was a, it was a time that um, after the, the interferon was stopped and before I had my foot amputated, I was put on two drugs, a biologic, two biologic drugs, just to see what would happen. The, the doctor's like, it'll do nothing to the cancer, but it might rev up your immune system to fight the disease. It didn't. It didn't work at all. But it gave me a bunch of problems. It, it gave me pseudo gout when my knee swelled up. It, it, it gave me terrible exhaustion. And then one night I woke up in the middle of the night thinking I was having a heart attack, pressure in my chest. Uh, you know, my wife rushed me to the emergency room. And I remember lying on that gurney 
and having doctors and nurses running around doing all kinds of stuff. And I looked at my wife literally with tears coming down my cheeks and was like, just let me die. Just let me go. I need to get out of this body that continually seems to be attacking me. And it was at that moment that I remembered reading an article about the owner of a professional sports team who paid a U.S. Navy SEAL, probably one of the toughest groups of of men in the military, to come and live with his family for a month and teach them to do more physically than they ever thought they could do with their minds. And one of the things he talked about was the 40% rule. And that rule says, if you're at the end, you know, whatever it is, you're at the end of your, your, your rope, you can't go on, you, you think, you know, this is it. You're only at 40% of your maximum and you still have 60% left to give to yourself. And I remember thinking about that and kind of just going inside with all these doctors and nurses doing stuff and saying, no, I'm not done yet. This isn't over yet. I've got so much more left to give. And I don't know why I thought about that article at that moment. Maybe it was, you know, God saying, hey, remember this? You read this? Maybe you ought to put that in place in your life right now. And obviously, I didn't die. I didn't have a heart attack. I actually had a blood clot in my lung and flew it around the sack of my heart. But it was just one of those times where, you know, it was just there was a message that kind of came through there and, and I needed to heed that message. Wow. Wow. Those moments of divine downloads, right? They are yeah. powerful. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and you're talking so much about impact. I think impact is really what's coming through for me versus the legacy. I mean, it's very same thing, but similar thing, but um, it sounds like you're making such a huge impact in the world, Terry. Um, I'd love to hear, based on everything you shared, what you feel humanity needs the most. Love. You know, one of the chapters I wrote in my book was about listening and the importance of listening and not listening to respond, but listening to understand. And, you know, you, you look around the world and, and we're just screaming at each other. And, you know, if you're screaming at me and I'm screaming, at you, neither one of us can understand what each other is saying. But if we take the time to step back and say, you know, okay, what's Marianne saying? You know, it, it, it goes back to when I was a, a hostage negotiator. One of the things I did in the police department, I was a hostage negotiator for the SWAT team. And we had to figure things out based on what a person was saying, what they weren't saying, and how they were saying it. Because when we were negotiating with somebody, a lot of times they were in another location. They were in a house that were barricaded. You know, they were on the other side of a wall or something like that. So there were no physical or visual clues that we could look at, you know, when we were talking to somebody. So I got good. And I think all of the people on the team got good. You know, it's kind of an art, a nuance that, you know, trying to figure things out without seeing anything, you know, almost closing your eyes and just listening. And so we got good at listening and trying to figure out what was happening. I think if we would do that to each other, take time to listen, to understand, then that comes from a place of love, not from a place of I'm screaming at you because I hate you because you're different. No, we're a whole lot more close to each other in terms of, you know, I mean, you bleed the same blood I do. It doesn't matter what our skin color is or where we come from. It doesn't matter. We're human beings. If we spend more time caring about each other, I think we'd have a much better planet. Oh my goodness. Yes, 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 yes. Um, thank you so much for sharing all of that. 
at this point, I usually ask people to revisit, you know, after telling your story and just, you know, things we, we've touched on from Chinese face reading, um, revisiting that mirror and just, you know, seeing if there's anything else that comes up when you take a look at your reflection. I may have cracked it when I looked at it before. So. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I told you before we got on the air, I said, you know, my brother always tells me I have a face for radio, so it's not <laughs> something that should be seen. Um, you, you know, just listening to what you've said about me, I, I mean, you know, okay, the chin and, you know, the ears and the, the brow line and stuff like that. It, it's, you know, you put all that together with the eyes that I like, you know, kind of the windows to the soul, the windows to what's really important in that. My little M hairline, you know, it's like, yeah, okay. That's, I never thought about it that way, but it's pretty interesting. I like it. I like it. I like what you said. Yeah. I, I see a compassionate leader. So, um, and, and it takes a lot of strength to go through what you've gone through. And when was your prognosis made? 2012. So you've passed that five-year mark. Long time ago. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you know, I don't, I always say, I, I don't worry about, you know, dying. I don't worry about when I'm going to die. Cause obviously that decision's made way above my pay grade. So right. <laughs> I, I, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about it when, when it's my time to go, I'll, I'll go. And, you know, I, when I found out all this recent stuff happened, I went to the cemetery with my wife and you know, to the mortuary and all that. And, and I planned my funeral and, and I was kind of attacked in a lot of ways where, you know, oh, that's defeatist. And I kind of looked at people like, well, last time I checked, I think everybody's going to die. So I don't know how that's defeatist. I looked at it more as a gift to my family to all the, you know, all the, the preparations have been made. When I die, it's one phone call and all that stress is taken care of. Oh my gosh, it's so considerate. Uh, and you're so right. The way that we view death in our society, um, it's not very proactive. It's so fear-based. And, you know, my father passed away in 2014. And I remember uh, my mom actually had, he had a leather bound planner. She opened the planner and on the front page were all the phone numbers, all the policy numbers for the life insurance um, accounts, everything just listed out there where she didn't even have to think mm -hmm. and all the arrangements were made and he actually passed suddenly. Okay. So he had already, you know, knew it was coming or, or when it did come, he didn't want her to be burdened right. when, you know, um, he, he, he left. And so, um, and I've heard stories of other people like, you know, designing their funerals to be more like a ceremony of celebration of life, looking at it from that angle. So, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate you adding that paradigm to thinking about our time coming near. So thank you for that as well. Sure. Terry, how can people find you? So uh, probably the easiest way is on my, my website, motivationalcheck.com. You can Leave me a message there if you want to send me an email, motivationalcheck at aol.com. But motivationalcheck.com will pretty much get you to my social media sites. It'll get you access to my book if you want to buy that, my daily thoughts for the day and all that kind of stuff. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, and I had a chance to cruise a little bit before we were chatting and it looks very robust. So that's Thank lots you. 
things. So um, thank you for everything you're contributing to the world, to the planet, to humanity. I so appreciate our time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, is there anything, any words left unsaid or anything else you want to share? Let me, let me just leave your audience with, with this for, if they would do me this favor for the next 30 days, treat everybody that you come in contact with as if they'll be dead tomorrow. So the person who cuts you off in traffic today, or the person at work who takes credit for your work, or, you know, your 16 year old who's driving you nuts at this point in your life, think about them as if they'll be dead tomorrow. Because if you do that, two things are going to happen. You're going to have a whole lot less stress in your life, and you're going to have a greater appreciation for the people that are in your life. Thank you so much, Terry. I appreciate it. What a great message. Thanks, Marianne. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Humanity Speaks podcast. With the rise of social media engagement and video conference calls, many people are feeling more self-conscious about seeing themselves face on. I believe that if you love yourself when you see yourself, you elevate humanity, which is why I've created programs to help people love who they see in the mirror. I want to show you how to look at yourself with love, compassion, and acceptance so you can share your strengths, presence, and talents with pride. The best part is we can work together one-on-one in a group program or even in person. Simply visit MarianneTelkovsky.com or follow me on Instagram at MarianneTelkovsky and we can get started right now on your path to radical self-acceptance, healthy aging, and building your radiant energy. Until next time, signing off, this is Marianne Telkovsky with Humanity Speaks.